Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of The Secret Origins of Mint Condition. This episode is part of our uh, Halloween-themed episodes for October. Joining me is, of course, Joe. Hello, folks. And Chris. Hey, y'all. And also joining us in, as we uh, make our way through this episode, which I'll get to in a moment, is a uh, friend of the show, uh, returning guest, and a co-host of the Star Trek edition of this podcast, John, is with us. Hey, everyone. And also joining us is friend of the show, returning guest, and our academic, Professor Jack Adrian, is with us. Hello, everyone. Happy Halloween. Happy Halloween, everyone. And so uh, with this episode today, we are going to dive into the classic TV show, The Twilight Zone, uh, which I have, uh, I've seen them all, but I have, you know, it's hard to remember all of them. But uh, Joe and Jack have a, a deep, deep passion, I would say for them. Um, so we're going to just talk about it in general terms, bring up some highlights. And so, so Joe, before we, our mics went out, you posed the question as to why this, this brand, this, uh, this show was such an apart. Uh, popular zeitgeist that uh, every year at New Year's or Fourth of July we would have a marathon of these shows. So, so why do you think the Twilight Zone has stood the test of time? Well, I think it stood the test of time because it was uh, a well-produced show, beautifully written, scripted, acted, directed. I mean, Charlie was just a genius, and I, I think uh, people recognize the, the the craftsmanship. But it but it transcends that because it's it's just part of. American culture. I mean, the very first episode, um, where is everybody? The one with Earl Holloman? He's in the town. He's the only, the only guy in that, in that strange, empty town. That, that's, so, that's such a great way to kick off a show like this. Where is everybody? Because when you think about it, it was 1959, I believe, when the show premiered. Right. So, you know, we're coming out of, it's still the, um, the Eisenhower years and still the, 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 the whole, um, you know, Leaf at the Beaver, uh, Ozzy and Harry generation. And here's something that comes along and just turns things off kilter more than slightly. And I think it just grabs people. It grabs their imagination because it's what the show is about, imagination. And I think that's why it's so popular until this day. It's, it's imagination run amok. And I think, I think that speaks to everybody. So that's, that's what I think, why it's so popular. No, I agree with you. I mean, it's definitely, again, like we've sp spoken about in other episodes, you know, similar, like we've been talking about recently about the Sandman, just because it's, it's out, how uh, Neil Gaiman created this vehicle where he could tell any story. And the Twilight Zone is of a similar ilk where, you know, Rod Serling created this format where you could basically do any type of storytelling at all and, and get away with it because of, of what the format allows you to do. Um, John, what are your what are your thoughts on the Twilight Zone? Um, so it, it was always part of the culture for me growing up, but I think it's as uh, someone's mentioned even uh, before we started, I I got my first taste of it through all the marathons that would happen on different holidays. Uh, and, and I never understood why that was a show that was chosen for marathons. Um, it was always that, it seemed, or the Honeymooners for me uh, that was on, but both shows in the 1950s. And a lot of the episodes really stood out to me with, uh, with really out there stories. Uh, it, it was scary as a kid. Um, but also interesting. It's also where I got my first intro to William Shatner. Um, I think I saw him in that before Star Trek, if I remember correctly. Really? Uh, That's interesting. Wow. And that episode freaked me out. The idea of having so, like this monster uh, on, on, on the plane sure, on yeah. the thing. And I looked out the window of every plane I was in. <laughs> I'd be like, wait a second. And uh, uh, particularly at night, I didn't realize until later really what the, uh, you know, that, that, that it wasn't about the, 
paranormal or the incident itself. It was about the human reaction and the human condition because that would that that episode, which always stood out to me, was really about the idea of seeing something and nobody believing you. Yeah. Um, and that's the real terror. So the show was like, we're going to give you the scary thing. And then we're going to actually get to where the real terror is, which is psychological or social or human. Um, and it was almost, I think of it as sort of subversive in that way. Um, and, and, and my, uh, if I'm recalling correctly, some stuff about Rod Sterling is that he, he was really a master at getting things through uh, Joe's user, like that. Th- this show, where did it come from in the 1950s, 1959? Like, where do you get, you know, going going from uh, 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 the really uh, family friendly fair that was very, very watered down of any controversy mm-hmm. uh, to this? And uh, you know, I, I imagine him much like I, I imagine some modern TV producers who get stuff through, and everybody goes like, how did how did they do that? Uh, and I think he opened up television to an entirely new type of storytelling um that has had an effect now i mean I, I think of that as as you know we've discussed in babylon 5 jms started the idea in many ways of you know of a, of a long-term story but he had to trick the networks mm-hmm. they had to sort of like give, give, give you know bait and switch here's what i'm going to give you and then right, actually right. do something else and i always had the feeling this had something along those lines that that, that that it was presented in one way and he managed to really subversively get it to be much more uh, compelling, but darker. And in the commentary, this is the age of um, of the House Committee on Un-American Affairs, Joe McCarthy, uh, you know, out there. To have a show that had very clear uh, uh, sentiments against that kind of mindset, but doing it through science fiction, that's, that's a type of subversion, I think, uh, that you get sort of through a genius writer like Rod Sterling. Yeah, that, that's that, John. That was right. Uh, I should just pick up like because uh, of a book we haven't mentioned in a while, and still have to do an episode on it. Becoming Superman by JMS. I think JMS recants a story where he, yeah, we totally do. One of his first, uh, one of his first people to read his work happened to be Rod Sterling. He just he was I think at a writers' convention at a college, and someone yep. um, just yep. picked up. Like he didn't even know who the person was. They just picked up one of his stories, read through it, and said it was pretty good. And then someone came and was, you know who that is? He's like, who is that's Rod Sterling? He's like, oh my god. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, no, you you're totally right. You remember that correctly. So uh, so yeah, so that's so he definitely right. JMS and Babylon Five is definitely influenced by the work of Rod Sterling and obviously the Twilight Zone. Chris, what are what are your what are your thoughts about the Twilight Zone? No, you know, John, I really appreciate your insight. I think you put it, you know, you, you put it better than I could. You articulated it well. You know, I my experience was with. Through, with the Twilight Zone was absolutely through those Fourth of July and New Year's Eve marathons that they'd have. It was the, you're right, that and Honeymooners, and then um, sometimes it would be Star Trek, the original series. But I liked watching it. I really, really enjoyed. I enjoyed the hell out of out of watching Twilight Zone because it didn't matter where I came in. I didn't. I didn't need to catch up, right? Because it was always different characters. It was these different stories. I didn't need to know. It was fun because growing up, I watched it with my parents. And more my dad than my mom, but they would point out different celebrities that were on the show. And um, and that was always sort of like interesting to me because I wasn't used to that. You know, you see the same characters, at least when I was watching television, you saw the same characters. It was telling different stories with the same characters. And Twilight Zone didn't do that. So you had all these cool stars who, who came in, people like Art Carney and, um, you know, uh, Shatner, like they, they came in and the, they did these one-offs and that was super cool. But Another thing that I find really interesting, besides the fact that like some of these episodes really stick with me, a lot of them don't, not because they were, weren't good or whatever, they just didn't resonate with me, and I haven't been back to revisit, but one of the things that I always kind of think is super cool is that 
people have different points of reference for the series. And it's not like there's a bad season. Some of the most memorable episodes come from all over the the course of the five seasons. And that's, I think, really unusual for a TV show. Usually there's a a season that isn't that good or not that memorable. Sometimes people remember the first couple of seasons, but then it drops off. Or the later seasons before the show found its stride. But even so far in this episode, some of the episodes that we've mentioned have, have been in the first season and the last season. So... Uh, there's just there's something about it that's that's kind of magical that you can tell these different stories that are unsettling in so many different ways. And the one thing that really unites them is that for the most part, it's the mundane turned, if not deeply unsettling and somewhat upsetting. And it's and humans and this and this comes up in a multitude of episodes where like aliens talk about it in a couple of episodes. It's so easy to unsettle humans and get us to indulge our our basest instincts. Uh, that's one of the scariest things about the show. So I just, I, I really enjoy it. I really admire it as somebody who is like a big fan of, I guess, the show without being such a fan that I really know the show, if that makes any sense. No, I left an impression with you. I mean, it's, he's, he's tackling, he's doing what sci- good sci-fi does and it's showing a mirror to us, not directly. Maybe sometimes directly with some of those episodes is showing a yeah. mirror to us. But, yeah, totally. But as John was saying, it's like subversive also. It's, 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 getting, it's getting to us and it's getting the heart of real things that affect everyday life without like sometimes it's, it's making you un- feel unsettled by digging it in Absolutely. in this um, you know, very sly sort of way. Um, Jack, what, what are your thoughts on the show? Um, thank you, James. Um, no, so uh, I think like everyone else, uh, I, I think uh, the show as it exists um, is a kind of become part of like the American consciousness. And so I think it holds uh, a place right up there with Star Trek, uh, holds a place right up there with I Love Lucy. Um, it's one of those kind of seminal works uh, that everyone can reference um, and by extension uh, have some kind of uh, experience or memory of their favorite episode, uh, one that kind of uh, was very thought-provoking, one that was, you know, on some level very scary uh, and still lasts with them. Um, but, you know, I think to, to John's point, uh, it, it came at such a very interesting time, particularly um, in the 1950s with the Red Scare uh, and Joseph McCarthy uh, and what that it's, uh, and I think in our science fiction episode, we discussed um, science fiction in and of itself. In this case, it's science fiction uh, and some fantasy. Uh, it's a more of a reflection of the current times uh, than what it is they're trying to portray. And so I think that it did that very well. Um, but also, I think additionally, um, one of the things that uh, I think the show draws upon in, in what's... Uh, been uh, institutional to its lasting legacy is is it comes from an earlier tradition of radio drama. Uh, And so it's building on this whole notion that uh, families would sit around the radio uh, and listen to radio plays. Um, And again, the most famous of which is Arson Wells' The War of the Worlds, uh, which he did in 1938. But uh, it's also worth noting that um, there are a lot of American playwrights and screenwriters and novelists who got their start in radio drama, including Rod Serling uh, and Erwin Shaw. And, And so, again, they would later go on to have such a huge impact on television because most of uh, they essentially cut their chops on on um, you know how do you convey uh, a very quick and very clear theme uh, in a very short amount of time to your audience uh, that resonates uh, and so I think uh, in many extents too many to a great extent that still uh, endures with us today um, I was also a fan of uh, the show was actually every few years they will try to uh, reimagine the show and so there was a, a Twilight Zone that ran from 1985 to 89 I'd watched those when they had aired originally uh, I 
own those DVDs and I watch them. And so I think every generation is trying to tap in uh, to to uh, the strength of what the original Twilight Zone did. Um, I think the only current analog that we have would be something like Black Mirror. Um, but again, I think that also captures that very same anthology, science fiction, fantasy, reflection of our current time. Uh, and I think for those of our listeners who haven't seen it, that would definitely be something uh, to kind of explore to uh, essentially understand uh, in a you know current uh, time setting what the impact of the Twilight Zone was then uh, and what it still kind of means today. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, it's had, like you said, its predecessor. I mean, it also, it was, we've had remakes of The Twilight Zone. I don't think any of them have hit as, as strongly as the original take on The Twilight Zone. I mean, I think there's some good episodes, and I have to admit I'm not current on the, you know, the reboots of The Twilight Zone that have happened over the years. Uh, you had, I guess, his counterpart, The Outer Limits, which I think was inspired by mm-hmm. uh, by the Twilight Zone. I really don't know the history of, like, if they were competitors coming out at the same time or if one of the Twilight Zone came out and then the outer limits came out to like compete with it as television does. But, um, but yeah, like it's, it's obviously, and, and, you know, it's had its reflection and stuff in today's society, if not directly, then indirectly in terms of how it affects all types of storytelling. I mean, it's probably a good place for us to uh, maybe jump into favorite episodes or thoughts about some of our favorite episodes, because, um, you know, we've already talked about obviously the famous, um, you know, William Shatner episode with the monster on the plane. I'm going to for- forgive me, audience, because uh, I don't have the episode list in front of me. So, um, but, uh, you know, Joe, what are, what are, what, I guess, you know, what's one of your favorite episodes that you can, you can remember? Well, my favorite is Nightmare 20,000 Feet, but I already referenced Where Is Everybody? The very first episode, scary, it's still scary, it's still scary today. This is whole, the whole uh, concept of waking up and finding yourself alone someplace. Yeah, uh, whether it be a small town in the middle of a big city, it just it's um I don't know if trope is the right word to use here. We've seen it done numerous times in Hollywood and films and T V shows, you know, the the last man or the last woman on earth, so to speak. It's taken right out of a nightmare. And um so that's that's one of my favorite episodes. And I'm trying oh, and the um I can't think of the name of the episode now, I wish I could. But of course the one with Burgess Meredith. Um yes. he's down he's down in the vault when the atomic uh, uh, attack happens, and of course, uh, all he wants to do is read. And uh, he's now he's the, apparently the last one alive, at least in the city. And he's stacking up all the books in the library on the library steps. And thank you, Jack. Could, Jack has mentioned it's time enough at last. Thank you, Jack. Episode eight. And, yeah, that's that's a great episode. And then, of course, he's going to spend the rest of his life reading, and he leans over and he busts his eyeglasses. And then you know there was no um, uh, no uh, lens crafters in those days. <laughs> And if there was, it wouldn't have been around because of the atomic explosion. So um, those are those are some of the episodes that come to mind right away for me. No, I mean those are yeah. those are I think timeless, and I think they're mm-hmm. really well known. And um, again, you talk about talk about also those those stars that come in, do one episode and leave, and, and the great work they do. Um, yeah. What about you, Jack? What are some of your favorite episodes? You know, they're. Um... So there are the ones that are my favorite episodes and they are the ones that just scared the living hell out of me. Um, and, and, and so, and, and the thing is, uh, but you somewhat enjoy it. And so I know the, uh, uh, the episode, the hitchhiker, uh, you know, season one, episode 16, and it's about this woman who is basically just, um, driving across country mm-hmm. and, and she sees this man uh, at every like road stop. And, and so, 
kind oh, of going yeah. through it. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and so I think this kind of harkens back to what James says uh, with respect to the Sandman. It's, it's, or maybe it was you, uh, Chris, but it's one of those situations where you can tell any story that you want, and I'm not going to ruin, uh, you know, the surprise, uh, you know, for those of our audience who haven't seen it yet. But you know, eventually you get a resolution as to why she keeps seeing this man and and what it actually means. Um, but I mean, that, that's one of those episodes that just kind of just stays with you uh, for so long. And um, you know, the eye of the beholder uh, again, uh, the episode. That's absolutely one I was going to name. That's a great choice. Well, you know, poaching is just you know encouraged on 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 the podcast. So so, yes. so, <laughs> so but uh, you know, it 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 was just the, the the way it was filmed because you know you, you're watching the episode and, and and it's got these dark lightings and shadows and you never see anyone's face until the big surprise reveal at the end. Um, and and one of these amazing mm-hmm. things, and I think The Simpsons perhaps does it more frequently than others, but the, the parodies that are even made from the Twilight Zone episodes um, where, you know, so yeah. many other uh, shows are derivative of, of some of the, of the kind of the, 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 just the subtlety and the nuance of the filming and the scripts that, that it, it has so much become part of just, uh, I think people will see things and they won't even know that it, it has its antecedents in a Twilight Zone episode. But, um, but another one, and this one is just not as popular as uh, I, I, Hold on. I'm sorry, Jack. Oh, no, Can please, I interrupt please, you real course. quick? Because I'm, I'm curious, because this is a thing. So so hold that thought. But now I sort of want to flip over to John for a quick second and ask you, John, because, you know, Jack, you just mentioned the parodies and how widely they're done and, and how, how it's such a part of the zeitgeist. Sometimes we don't even realize this. So, John, you and I were talking off air a little bit about how we don't have we don't know the show thoroughly. We, we are somewhat familiar. We we like remember some episodes. Um but like, has it been your experience? How how has it been your experience um, with regards to because you're so in touch with so much of the pop culture zeitgeist? Um, how much overlap have you seen? Is it a thing that you've recognized, appreciated? Is it something that sort of passes you by? Like, what's your experience been with that? Just sort of as a quick aside, because you mentioned it, Jack, and I want to jump on it. Um, and well, especially in terms of the 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 way that this shaped pop culture or overlapped it, I I would say that it's probably influenced the way that most every show with a tinge of fantasy or or sci-fi or alternative storytelling goes and weirdly enough the, the show that just popped into mind and i don't even know why because they're not they're not similar but uh for some reason the good place just popped into my head because it, it was a show that was profoundly about exploring the human condition and literally outright saying we're basically exploring the philosophy of moral ramifications of existence and all kinds of things related to that and it was also incredibly silly and funny and poignant and again that goes back to like what i feel is that word subversive it's it's subversive in that it's subverting your expectations you think you're getting one thing and then you walk away and it's actually like a meal where you got more nutrition than you realized because you thought it was all junk food you know um that that that's very much and i feel like that way of of slipping it in it really was profound in in the episodes that i've seen in twilight zone and i've probably seen about a third of the entire episodes i think they're about 150 give or take and it, it just has this feeling of like you you think you're going one way you think it's going to be maybe a little bit scary or surreal or intense just about the character there was one episode about a gunslinger if i remember yeah. um and you know season two i believe yeah, yeah, and, and and it's about okay. He he he's regretting all, all these decisions in his life, but he has a chance to basically you know be the best. Fate gives him the chance to be the fastest gunslinger in the world. Uh, the irony is, fate is also given that same opportunity through a potion to the other one. 
the other person. Yeah. Um, and the consequence is they both learn a very tough lesson about life and <laughs> and what the purpose is. And 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 so I won't tell you exactly what happens with them, but they walk away with a much more profound understanding of life. And that's not what you get from a lot of just sort of regular entertainment where it's just sci-fi for the sake of cool let's see what we can do let's see what we can show you um and, and you mentioned black mirror black mirror is definitely in the same wavelength i think it's i think black mirror gives me the sense of like they're doing twilight zone super on the nose like right on the nose they're, they're telling they're, they're taking something that we're dealing with and then you know making make, making sort of a, a a very intense story about that and the consequences of technology right in that twilight zone set the standard of let's let's get you there um but also make you think about it uh in more of a way and, and between movies and a lot of sci-fi shows i feel like even even shows like star trek take a lot of inspiration from that because if you look at star trek particularly original series it's that same idea of like we're, we're going to put it in a setting that's out of out of the normal, out of normal life, completely. So we can we can experiment and do what we want to do. There's going to be a moral of the story, and it's going to be fundamentally about the human experience in that. Um, and a lot of other shows at the time were really just about, again, entertainment, showing up, you know, a sitcom. This is what it's like, you know, maybe you know some fun stuff. But but it was very, it was supposed to be very very real, if you know if, if comedic. Uh, and a lot of other you know comedy shows. I took that, but I, I think even comedy has taken a lot from uh, the idea of Twilight Zone. I mean, hell, even Family Guy can, t- can take yeah. some elements of that where they're like, yeah, we're, we're in this crazy animated world, but there's this sort of like poignancy to a lot of it um, that is just initially seemingly silly and, 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 and crazy. And that's, and, and that's, the, that, that's the interesting part about this. And I, I can't think of a TV show that did it before. And... I'm having a hard time thinking about a TV show now that does it as, as, uh, as intentionally. No, that's, that's great, John. I really, I, I really am grateful for that, for that insight. Thank you. And I, I want to throw it back to you. I know Joe, you got your hand up. Uh, and then I want to go back to Jack for your, for your next favorite episode too. Cause I, I wanted to get back to that list. I'm enjoying it, but, but thank you, John. That was, um, that's sort of, <laughs> that's sort of, sort of what I've come to expect from you is to be able to sort of pull all these disparate elements together, <laughs> articulate them in a way that really makes the connections very clear, sort of makes them glow so that the rest of us can see them. So thank you for that. Oh, my pleasure. <laughs> it's my it's my crazy mind. Uh, I, I just like to say, I just follow up with John said uh, about how comedy has taken uh, some, uh, you know, uh, uh, ideas from, from the Twilight Zone. I'm thinking of one in particular, the final episode of a very popular show uh, in the 80s and 90s, the new hot show. And I don't know if you guys are aware of the ending of that show. And uh, here I'm going to, if you're a new hot fan, turn, 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 <laughs> leave right now. And I'm going to spoil the ending of new hot. <laughs> new hot is a crazy show about this, this, this inn that's running this, uh, this town in Vermont and, and no one, everybody around Bob Newhart or Bob Hartley seems to be, you know, like right out of, right out of the green acres. They have no idea what's going on. And he's dealing with these crazy neighbors and people that, that work for him. The final episode, the final scene, Bob Newhart's in bed. We think he's in bed with Mary Fran, the actress who plays his wife. But he wakes up and he pushes, he, he, you know, wake up, wake up. And it's not Mary Fran. It's Suzanne Plachette from the Bob Newhart show from 10 years earlier. And he goes, uh, I just had this dream. I was, I, was in, I was running this in with all these crazy characters. 
And, uh, you know, and, and two brothers with the same name, Larry, Larry, and Daryl. It, it was just great. It was such a Twilight Zone ep uh, epic moment for the end of a TV series. And uh, another TV series that had a Twilight Zone type ending was St. Elsewhere. After eight years, we find out that none of that happened. All, the, all that went on in St. Elsewhere happened in the mind of an autistic child. Spoilers and, for St. Elsewhere. Yeah, spoilers for St. Elsewhere, folks. So, <laughs> I'm the Bob Newhart show, but I wasn't yeah. too worried about that one. <laughs> yeah, but um, yeah, so yes, comedy has taken a few, uh, a few notes out, out, out of the, uh, the playbook of, of uh, Twilight Zone, and I think it's infectious, and I think people who, showrunners and writers and directors who see great quality want to, want to be a part of that and want to inject it into their, into their programs in some way or fashion. I mean, Joe I, and Jack, we're gonna, I just want to we'll get back to you in one second. But Joe, I think you're also describing something that the Twilight Zone probably invented is uh, the, the twist ending. Yes. You're talking about the, uh, the, the ending that you, know, doesn't, you don't see it coming. It's a surprise to the audience. And uh, I think that's one of those things, Rod Serling. It, I mean, I'm sure it was done in books, but um, for TV, for mass TV audience, I think he was the first one to come up with the twist ending. Um, mm -hmm. but, but Jack, back, back to your list. Oh, thank you, James. Um, so about the twist ending, and I think, again, bringing you back to pop culture, many people aren't aware of the fact that Rod Serling uh, was, uh, helped draft the screenplay for The Planet of the Apes. Uh, and so, again, when you see, you know, when we consider twist endings, uh, I think it becomes very clear as to the impact he had, uh, again, coming off the Twilight Zone, but also then essentially having perhaps the greatest twist ending of any film uh you know uh, that that anyone can kind of recall um and, and so uh the ability for him to to do that not only in the show but also um in 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 kind of uh, the, the planet of the apes and and all of the reiterations and all of the reboots that they tried no one has ever truly been able to capture uh that the impact of of that twist ending um, and so there's just one other episode that I wanted to mention. Um, and, and this is a one that I, it took me years to actually see. Um, it was a season four episode and I, it, it was one of the longer ones and it's uh, on Thursday, we leave for home. And it's just, it's, it's very subtle. Um, and, and it's about uh, a, a, an alien, uh, the humans on, on an, uh, far distant planet and they're in a colony and they're just struggling. And, and, and so then, uh, they are, someone comes to rescue them. And, and then all of the dynamics of the interrelationships between the people just kind of starts to kind of manifest itself. And it's, it's just a very interesting, and I think John said this as well, it says so much about the human condition. And, and, and to some extent, I think, uh, as John said, so much of the television we enjoy now, uh, I think, stems from that, this, this uh, whole notion of uh, it's not enough just to kind of uh, have a plot uh, and characters to move through the plot. It's how does how do the characters change in the course of engaging with each other and, and engaging through the plot in which we the writer, the screen uh, writer places them in. And, and I, I don't necessarily know if we would have had this deep reservoir of, of good television over successive generations uh, without the Twilight Zone showing you can do it, um, you know, week by week, and you don't even need the same characters, uh, you know, coming in to, mm -hmm. to uh, carry the story forward. You know, that's a great point. I hadn't really thought about that, but I imagine that, and I, and we've certainly heard that even now, it's, you know, a question that you'll hear from studios. And it's it's largely a, a, a bullshit question, but, you know, can this person, um, you know, is this person uh, high profile enough to carry our show? Not are they talented enough, but are they high profile enough to make sure that we keep getting ratings? And here you have somebody going, oh, yeah, no, we were going to have all these stars. Oh, no, they're only going to be in for one episode. We won't need them for the rest of the episodes. It's OK. We'll we'll keep going. 
and I hadn't really thought about it from that angle before, but you're absolutely right that they, they they have some of the some of the best episodes they have are with with quote nobodies when it comes to to you know stars of stage and screen, and then other episodes feature big names that everybody knows. So that, that's really interesting. So what are some of other people's uh, favorite episodes? I'll jump in. I'll, I'll, I'll jump in with. Um, yeah, please do. I've been trying to find the episode, um, and I think. I found the title of it, which would be perfectly fitting. And, and, and correct me if I'm wrong here. It's, I think it's called Eye of the Beholder. Yep. It was the, uh, the one basically about uh, uh, beauty standards. That's the one. Um, and that, 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 that always stuck out because that was, you know, you, you, you have that, uh, you know, that, that, that prosthetic, which is pretty hideous looking. Yes, um, and I'm like, oh God, that is so ugly. Uh, and everybody's reaction to somebody looking like a, a uh, beautiful woman, by our standards, generally speaking, uh, was, was was hideous. And it, it, for, for again, if, if you're if you're a kid and you see that, you're like, wait a second, that's not how it is. Yeah. Um, and it, it it provokes a little bit of thinking there as to you know what the nature of of that kind of thing might be. And I think uh, I think that's uh, that that's at the base level always a uh, always an, an important part of a of a show like that. But it so freaked me out as a kid that there would be a different standard. You know, it's like, wait, I was confident in what I knew. I was confident in what I thought, you know, the concept of, of, of beauty or aesthetics or anything was. And this is what we're told. This is what we are. So it's sort of it's sort of nice to, to get an episode like that where uh, it throws that on its head. And it, le- and, and it definitely left a bit of an impact, um, you know, in terms of that. I don't remember the full plot of the episode, except that it involved a botched plastic surgery that made them quote unquote ugly when we would have thought them beautiful. Right. Yeah. No, I mean, and that's, and that's sort of interesting too, because in and of itself, I mean, sometimes we just remember these moments. So like one of my favorite episodes is will the real Martian please stand up. It's episode 28 from season two. And uh, the police have to figure out if a dinner patron, diner patron is actually a Martian invader. And uh, man, it's, it's, I remember as a kid, just really enjoying the episode and then there's a twist at the end in terms of like who is the alien from where that sort of thing it's worth watching but i will say this the it wasn't the twist that that really makes me remember the episode even though there's plenty of the episode that i don't remember much like you john there's plenty of the episode i don't remember i don't remember it line for line i remember the the plot i remember the idea behind it i don't remember some of the exchanges but i remember how it ends but also there's when somebody is uncovered somebody who wasn't part of the conversation kind of, so to speak, um, they just start laughing. And that laugh when I was younger, really, that was the part of the episode that freaked me out. It was so malicious and it was so um, off-putting that that I I really liked that episode because it creeped me out. So it's interesting how there are these little moments that really stick with us. And for me, another one of my favorite episodes is, uh, is The Masks. And I think that's season five. That's a great one, Chris. That's a great one. Oh, I, this, this, father insists that um as as part of he's on his deathbed and basically as part of um you know this is he will he says to his kids you'll only get your inheritance if you put these masks on and uh and they humor him and um you know without going into too many details because i love the episode i think you should go and watch it um it's there's this great lesson about the ugliness within and our our ability to hide it and what do we do when when that ability is is negated or uh, compromised so that everybody can see our ugliness. But they're wearing these masks through the episode, and 
you know, I had never, I, I wasn't able to put a name to the, the concept before I, I got into theater and, um, and studied it in college. But, but when people do good mask work, the masks come alive. They really like even these, these, these masks that do not move, uh, you can see the emotions in the faces of these masks. It's, it's, it's crazy to me that you can have a solid mask and then if the actor is good at what they do, it seems as though the mask is emoting, okay? It's, it's expressing emotion. And that's something that I didn't understand when I was watching the episode, but it was something that I still appreciated because I'm looking at it going like, you know, it's, it's unsettling how these masks seem to be emoting. Um, so it's, it's interesting to me because that's, that's some of the stuff that sticks with me. Some of the episodes that everybody else has named, I've already sort of jumped on and gone, oh, yeah, great episode. That was good. That was good. Um, because there are, there are so many good episodes for different reasons, sometimes because they exposed something about humanity, sometimes because they were genuinely creepy. Um, but those are the two that, that always, always, always stick with me are the masks and um, will the real Martian please stand up. Masks is especially like you know, creepy, Chris, to think about. Um, afterwards, you know, just in the whole thing that happened with it. No, absolutely. I mean, it, again, it's it, coming back to what the masks emoting. There's this great moment at the end of the episode where they're they're just sitting in these masks, and you're like, "Wow!" It's just it's, yeah. I I, I do. I love the ending to that episode. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Um, Joe, you- yeah, I just wanted. To, I just did a little uh, research and uh, to see what big names were in the show. I, the aforementioned William Shatner, obviously, but. Some of these, these are these are quite quite uh, quite the the star cast here. We Cloris Leachman, George Takei. There's something about there's a story about that episode, by the way. I totally forgot story. about Cloris Leachman. Yeah. Roddy McDowell, Robert Redford, Don Rickles, Jack Klugman, Elizabeth Montgomery, Peter Falk, Lee Marvin, Rod Taylor, Robert Duvall, and my favorite because it's, it's perfect. I mean, why wouldn't you have Kevin McCarthy? Look to the skies. <laughs> oh, I thought it was going to be right? funny, but yeah. Yeah, right. You know, so uh, Kevin McCarthy, who plays the body snatchers. So there was such great uh, talent on the sh- on the show, and uh, kind of uh, you know, I guess it uh, uh, early late fifties, early sixties, and a few years later, we got some, something similar from a show that was completely the opposite spectrum of, of, of this show, and that was the Adam West Batman TV show that drew all these great Hollywood A listers uh, that wanted to be on that show. So. Um, People recognize quality and they, they want to be a part of it. It's, great, it's, great, it's a great tradition that, that he started. Right, so. I, one of my favorite episodes is The Invaders. It's the one where the, uh, this old woman is, uh, I guess, tortured by this miniature flying saucer. These little action figure sized aliens come out mm-hmm. and, and terrorize her. So that, that's a great one. Um, and, and Jack, I think speaking to you, talking about Planet of the Apes and Rod Sterling worked on that. He also, like, I guess, you know, started kind of the ideas for that with, um, was it I Shot Narrow at the Moon, where the uh, the astronauts think they've landed on Alien Planet. And you spoilers, mm-hmm. but it turns out they were never left Earth at the end of that episode, of course. And, of course, Monsters Are Due on Maple Street, uh, classic. Um, I just remember that one so vividly because I think we had to read the short story when I was um, in elementary school. But um, that, like, really cuts to the the depth and is still relevant today about human paranoia and uh, the aliens are subjecting us to an experiment to see how long it takes for us to break is a, is a fantastic episode. Uh, and I'm trying, there's a bunch of other ones I like too, but I don't know the names of them. Um, I can't remember the name of, of the, of the, this other one, the one where the, uh, the guy thinks he's in heaven, but, uh, and everything comes easy to him in terms of gambling and women and all the foodie ones. And uh, it drives him nuts. 
to 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 the point where he's like, I I think uh I think I'm in I think I'm I'm in the wrong place. Am I in the wrong place? He's like, no, no, you are in the you're in the right place. You think this is heaven, and it's revealed that he's actually in hell because mm-hmm. hell is getting everything you want and not not ever overcome a resistance, which I think is a great sort of idea and message for for life in general. If you get everything you want, what what kind of life? Is that so? That's the point, exactly. Yeah, and of course, many of the episodes all of you spoke about, I, uh, I, I love, I love dearly, and there's probably a bunch of them that I can't, you know, even remember that are that are still great. You know, I think you know for the Twilight Zone, just in general, we've spoken about some of this. I mean, aside from like we, we talked about the twist endings, we talked about the, you know, anthology nature of the show, groundbreaking. I think it also dived into the topic of us being afraid of technology as well. And I'm trying to remember. There's probably other social issues that we haven't touched upon that this show is groundbreaking for. Well, I mean, there was there was a ton. There's there's another good episode, and I'm not going to remember the name, so maybe somebody can help me out here. But um, but but basically, the I think it's that the power goes out on a street, and the longer the power is out, the more people start panicking and and sort of uh, accusing each other. And at some point, it's basically a lynching that happens, and it's because the power went out. That's it's, the that's the monsters are doing Maple Street. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Right. Right. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. I mean, talking about, you know, here it is. You have you have a lynching that happens. Right. Like there were a lot of social issues that were that were discussed. So, um, you know, going back to what John and Jack were saying earlier about it being subversive. Uh, yeah, it was it was absolutely that. And and there were all sorts of issues. And and some of it allowed you to sort of take what you would from it. Um, you know, I, I think looking back now, I will say that. I think if I go back eventually and watch these these episodes, um, I'm going to be able to go. Yeah, that's that's a little heavier, heavy hand, more heavy handed than I remember. Um, but certainly for the time, not necessarily quite so heavy handed. Um, and and again, storytelling can evolve. It's one of the reasons I've wanted to get to uh, Jordan Peele's Twilight Zone, and I just haven't gotten to. It. You know, I think you, you you nail it with with what you're saying about how uh, you know does it feel heavy handed? Is it not? What are they what are they trying to to do? And when you look at it in the context of 1950 through the early 60s, um, there was still a pretty big tightrope to, uh, to, you know, to balance there in terms of getting past the network executives and genuine censors um, at that. Right. And right. I, I really think of what, what, what they were able to do with the episodes primarily where it was about showing human nature when, uh, uh, you know, under stress and the worst of human nature coming out. Though I think that the show always, you know, g- gave a little bit of hope as well, uh, uh, you know, th- th- that not everybody is, is, is there condemned by that fate. Um, but that, like, with the lynching episode, with the other ones where it was just like, wait, you, you, you take people out of their comfort zone, you put them in the twilight zone, an unknown place, something where fear dominates and it might bring out the worst in human nature that's that as a through line of the twilight zone allowed them to really you know get those get get those stories out uh in in ways that would make people question i I think you know you know question where they had been uh uh you know having come through uh you know actually i I realized mccarthy era probably ended shortly before this uh to correct my, my earlier statement but to get through that and, and also not seem quite as, I don't know, the, the show didn't come off as um, rebellious like the nature of the early to mid 60s, you know, was, was yeah. beginning to be. It was, it was subversive, which is very different. You know, it wasn't just trying to say, hey, we don't believe in this. It was like saying, no, let's take a deep dive in this and find out what's really going on. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely, uh, John. 
Um, one of the things that I always appreciate about the show were the opening and the closing narration. I just found that they were um, <clears throat> so haunting uh, in, in, in so that you would kind of open and, and just kind of give you a little preview of what the episode was going to be about. Uh, and then also the closing narration just kind of gave you something to ponder as the episode closed. And, and I think that's just... Uh, obviously, in many ways, uh, Twilight Zone is, you know, morality play. And, and But just to, to have uh, that kind of spelled out after watching it by Rod Serling, I think, uh, also provided uh, just a very good kind of, you know, point at the end of, of what you had just seen. And, um, and, and so bringing it back to, I, I think, again, if we've discussed Black Mirror, uh, it does really just kind of resonate. Uh, and I think the reason why some of the favorite episodes... Uh, are considered favorites, uh, I think, you know, the ones we've listed, but also just by, you know, the, the viewership at large, uh, is a lot of the opening and closing narrations uh, it, that they that they're provided on the show, um, because they, they, I think, were very well, uh, encapsulates exactly what the uh, the morality of the episode was. And I just want to give, again, just for, for those who, who don't know, I, I did want to give, like, a, a shout-out for the uh, 1985 TV series. Um, there were some really good episodes, again, um, by the end, they perhaps uh, the quality perhaps kind of uh, deteriorated. Uh, but you know, some of the episodes were uh, directed by uh, Wes Craven. Uh, some of the teleplays were by um, Harlan Ellison. So, so I mean, there were just some really good episodes. Uh, I, I I sort of forgotten about that that Harlan mm-hmm. Ellison had worked on that, which of course also comes up in um, uh, Becoming exactly. Superman. Um, and Wes Craven, I had, I had forgotten too. No, that's that's great, yeah. Jack. I'm glad you mentioned that. And I think, uh, and I think the '80s show also had a sequel with Bill Mummy to his original episode yes. too. I vaguely yes. remember. Yes, yes, so, the classic Bill Mummy exactly. episode. Yeah. So, oh. so um, if anyone ever has a, and again, uh, I, I had watched it in its original run, and so then I actually went out and I purchased all the DVDs. Remember those? Uh, to 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 actually enjoy them, and 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 so <laughs> I, I didn't say laser disc. Um, and so then. <laughs> or real to real um and so um yeah. it, it it really is um it gives you a definite sign into the times uh and so uh most of twilight zones uh, are very reflective of the times in which they're created and so you you really get a very good look at the 80s and what the concerns were i mean uh, so obviously nuclear pro- proliferation um you know uh conspicuous consumption i mean so there's just a lot of good uh, kind of uh, episodes that kind of focus on the concerns then, uh, and you get to see it as it was imagined by the writers at that time. Uh, so again, highly unlikely anyone's going to just kind of stumble upon them. I don't think it's airing anywhere. Maybe, I'm not sure if Paramount Plus carries them or um, or someone else may, uh, but if you ever have an opportunity, it, it's definitely worth, uh, most of them are worth your time to check out. Yeah, I mean, as we as we wrap up this episode, I'd be remiss if I didn't bring up Twilight Zone, the movie. Mm-hmm. I personally think it was was great. You know, Dan Aykroyd, John Lithgow. Oh, who am I forgetting? Also in the, oh, a Scatman Crothers is in it. I mean, it's a, it was, it's, it's great. I mean, I, I personally, great. I mean, I, it is just a reinterpretation of classic episodes, but I think Twilight Zone, the movie, is uh, is fantastic to watch. And John Lithgow is the William Shatner role. I think he's I think he's, he's brilliant in that too. So as we wrap this up, do we have any um, final thoughts on the Twilight Zone? I, I open up to to all of you to give any you know final impressions or thoughts or things we have not covered so far in this episode. Uh, well, there's one thing. So as we indicated, Black Mirror, I think, uh, is kind of like the the uh, emotional 
um, kind of uh, heir to the Twilight Zone. Another uh, Netflix show, Love, Death, and Robots, also kind of has that very same kind of uh, anthology series. Uh, it's animated, various different kind of animation styles, um, but essentially they are kind of trying to uh, tell very concise story uh, using very the, the vignettes, trying to kind of get to a morality. So if you've had a chance to watch them, they're not all great, but most of them are very interesting and entertaining. No, it's great, Jack. You had told me about um, Love, Death, and Robots. I still haven't gotten to it yet, but it's on my list. Um, Joe, you had some final thoughts. Well, yeah, just to me, obviously, if it's the 1950s, early 60s, and you have this groundbreaking, uh, for lack of, lack of a better word, avant-garde type of TV show, and you want to get it past the censors and the suits, just wrap it in allegory and metaphor. Yes. Well, well, it worked for Star Trek, right? Yeah. <laughs> right. So, yeah. Um, great. Do we, um, before we, I guess, officially wrap up, do we, do we, I think we have time for quick recommendations. John and Jack, I know we didn't prep you for this, but um, we're, we're, we're open for anything you're watching, reading, or just hearing about what you're watching or reading, even if you don't recommend it. But um, uh, Jack, I'll turn it over to you. Have any audience recommendations for yes, today? Yes, uh, absolutely. Uh, for All Mankind uh, on Apple TV Plus, uh, I essentially just binge watched uh, all four seasons. Uh, the last season just wrapped up, I think, about two or three weeks ago. Uh, season four, they have been renewed, I think, for season five. Um, really quick uh, synopsis it's it, uh, um, alternative history where the Russians uh, landed on the moon uh, before the Americans. Uh, and so essentially that kept the space race going. Uh, and so by the time they hit the 80s and the 90s, um, they are already making plans to go to Mars. And so how uh, our uh, understanding our place in the universe would have changed uh, if we would have kept NASA funding the way it was at the same levels um, during the um, the cold. That's fine. I've heard nothing but good things about that show, so I'm I'm looking forward to watching it. Um, John, you have any recommendations for this week? Uh, for this week, it's funny. I mean, obviously, like everyone, I imagine in our circle, it has to be Sandman. Just to you know, put that put yep. that out there. Yep. Yep. So one of the best uh, produced shows in terms of uh, a genuine interesting fascinating show different pacing than i think some people will be used to because it's following very closely to the graphic novel and something that was a real game and thought was unfilmable and 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 one of the big takeaways i have from uh first like the show just being made is that when you have a good author who also has shown a deft mastery of social media like neil gaiman has particularly in handling the trolls um there's a good chance that when they're given a lot of creative uh, 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 control and directly involved in the production process that you're going to have something that comes pretty close to the uh, um, um, you know amazing quality of the original and Game of Thrones is an example of that with its first five seasons where the author was heavily and George Martin was heavily involved and there was source material I, th I think there's so much cool stuff out there so I'm going to plug something that hasn't come out yet and that I am cautiously cautiously uh, uh, keeping my eye on the new Lord of the Rings show. It's gonna come out on Amazon Prime, uh, the uh, the Rings of Power. And I've heard some initial good reviews of it, but that there, there, that there are a lot of people involved in the production who are trying to be very uh, close to the original source material. And, and that's something that I think is very, very, uh, very, you know, important. Second show, I'm gonna go back. It's not that I'm watching it right now, but I mentioned it in tandem with this show and it just brought up to my mind. I think, Anybody who is interested in good comedy, but also good human 
you know, philosophical discussions, watch The Good Place. Yes, so much yeah, very good. Online. Yes. Uh, and, and, and talk about some fun twists in the show. Every uh, you know. season they do such a good job of writing themselves out of a corner they wrote themselves into. Mm-hmm. I was, I'm with you, John. Those twists are incredible. Uh, and again, like you talk about like a cast of like uh, actors who, who, who make their way into it. Um, really good. And thir- the, my quick last third show, um, The Orville on Hulu. Uh, oh, their, yes. their new season has been really, really good. Um, and both those last shows do feature cameos by Ted Danson or starring Ted Danson. So there you go. Very nice, John. And I, I just started watching The Orville, so I'm, I'm, on, I'm on board with, with that recommendation as well. Uh, Chris, um, any recommendations for this week? Sure. Um, so let's see. I recently re- went back and I, because I, I went and saw, saw the Thor movie Love and Thunder. I was not a fan, but that's because I'm such a big fan. Uh, mainly it was because I was such a big fan of Gore the God Butcher um, in the Thor books. And so I w- recently went back and reread you know, Gore the God Butcher, and it's just as good, if not better, uh, than I remember it being. So if you haven't read the book, go back and read the books. Um, they're on Hoopla, so you can find them there. Um, I did read book one of Preacher. I I don't say I'll recommend it. It's, it's interesting, but it's just it's not for me. Um, it's very heavy handed. There are some tropes in there that excuse me, I find not particularly creative. Um, I, 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 so I don't know how to enjoy Preacher, I think is what it comes down to. Um, I won't say it's bad. I'll just say I don't know how to enjoy it. Um, what I'm watching right now. Oh, uh, reading also. I am currently reading, uh, or I finished reading, and I don't know, Joe, if you got your copy yet, so I'm just going to spoil it. Uh, Rethinking Fandom, How to Beat the Sports Industrial Complex at Its Own Game by Craig Calcaterra. Um, I've been listening to, or I've been reading his, he's got like a, a weekly newsletter. Well, it's a daily newsletter, but I do the free one because I'm cheap. And so that's on Thursdays. And so I read about, uh, I read about what's going on in baseball. Um, I think he's got a great, great, cannot recommend this book enough. Uh, again, rethinking fandom, just sort of thinking about how do you, how do you, uh, how do we consume sports and how do we sort of reconcile some of the, the difficulties that we, that we see in supporting the sports industrial complex that, that doesn't, you know, that just wants our money and, um, and will happily throw us under the bus to get it, uh, especially as evidenced with uh, the legalization of, um, of gambling and how very, very quickly um, all the leagues jumped into bed with, with professional gambling sites. So that's a really good read. Um, and then watching wise at this point, I think, I don't really think I have anything. I just finished Sandman and, um, and I was watching a couple of things on assignment for this podcast that I'm not, I'm not going to divulge just yet because I don't want to spoil anything, but, um, but yeah, I think that's, that's what I'm doing right now is mostly reading. No, that's fantastic, Chris. Those are great picks. And I, I have to agree with you. I, I have read all of Preacher and I read it just because everyone talks about Preacher, but I don't necessarily say I enjoyed Preacher, but I am trying to, as we do sometimes, in, think about the art's place in, in the industry and the world. So I agree with you. Um, Joe, what do you, what do you have for this week? Well, I'm looking at my calendar and I noticed I have something circled for next Friday, Cobra Kai season five debuts. So I would highly recommend Cobra Kai to anyone uh, who hasn't watched it yet. It's great. It's, as I said, it's check your brain at the door. Lots of fun. <laughs> so it's not the Twilight Zone, but it's still entertaining. And uh, what am I reading now? Let's see. Oh, I just started rereading um, Jeff Johnson's Run on the Flesh, Wally West. And uh, he picked up right after uh, 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 Mr. Wade left. And it's interesting because Wade, Wade did so much more with the character, uh, building up 
uh, Wally's personality, and then Johns comes along and he, and he he maintains that and he adds to it, uh, but he does he goes in a different direction. And he really starts bringing the villains and he does all these villain profiles, and we get to know the villains really really well and their motivations, their backgrounds, and it just fits so well into the into the whole uh, uh, framework of the book. So I would highly recommend Jeff Johns's run on on uh, the Flash. Fantastic, Joe. Uh, my recommendations for the week as I was reading, I've been reading the new volume of Swamp Thing. Uh, we have a new Swamp Thing. It's no longer Alec Holland. Um, it's written by Rom V, and it's it's very okay. I'll have to pick that up. Yeah, it's a very interesting thing. Um, I, I'm I'm terrible. I'm terrible by I, the, the new Swamp Thing's avatar's name. I am forgetting right now. But he oh, so it's Levi Kami. He is from India. He's the new avatar of the green, and um, the first two volumes are kind of dealing with how he became Swamp Thing and him dealing with socio-economic political issues as the Swamp Thing, and uh, it's it's very interesting because also he is he is Swamp Thing, but he is he's not he's not dead, and he doesn't always have to be in Swamp Thing form. So it's a very um, different take on the character, which I'm I'm enjoying. Like like I've said many times in the podcast, give me something new because that's always enjoyable to, to watch. Um, we've already talked about it, but I'm going to give a different spin and a different part of Hoopla. Um, I rented out from Hoopla the Sandman Season 1 soundtrack to the Netflix series. This is oh, done by okay. David Buckley, and it's a fantastic soundtrack. Um, I feel like the soundtrack, you know, as much as we've talked about the show and we will talk about the show, I feel the soundtrack to the show in every episode was, was amazing. So I recommend taking that out and listening to it. And in terms of something to watch that I just finished, I just finished watching Star Trek Prodigy. And I recommend it if you've been enjoying the new Star Trek that has been coming out. It has some great ideas, some great characters. It continues on with some classic um, Trek ideas and has some nice tributes in it. So definitely check out Star Trek Prodigy if you're looking for something new in the Star Trek universe to look at. And with that, I would like to say thank you to the listening audience, but most especially thank you to everyone who is a part of this episode. So thank you to Jack. Thank you to John. And of course, thank you to Joe and Chris for making this episode possible. And listening audience, if you're interested in leaving your thoughts and comments on the Twilight Zone, please feel free to post when this episode drops on the Facebook page. You can also email us directly at secretoriginsmc at gmail.com. Uh, secretoriginsmc is our Instagram and if you have the time, we'd really appreciate you um, liking this podcast and even giving it a review. It really helps us out and helps uh, spread the word of the secret origins of Mint Condition. I thank you for listening, and I will talk to you on the next episode.